Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to Past, the podcast about those who would never rule. I'm Veronica Fortune, and this week's episode is Empress Matilda, Part 2. Really quick before I start this week, you may hear my neighbor's very sweet dog barking. He's lovely, but he gets very distracted sometimes. I do apologize if it's distracting to you. A quick recap of last week's episode. Matilda has been declared her father's sole heir, and his barons and churchmen have declared their loyalty to her as such. This all came about due to her brother's death in the White Ship disaster, and her father being unable to have children with his second wife. As we come back to the narrative, Henry is planning Matilda's future, and a huge part of that future will be getting her married. (laughs) While he hasn't been able to have any further legitimate children, His daughter could still have children, and they could one day inherit his kingdom. In what can only be described as a pragmatic and selfish plan, Henry looked to shore up his Norman borders with his daughter's next marriage. I would like to think that Henry cared about his daughter's happiness, but I think in this case, he put it well below his own wants. Without consulting his barons, other than his oldest son, whom does truly appear to be his father's right-hand man, Henry began arranging for Matilda to marry Geoffrey of Anjou, the son and heir to the Count of Anjou. Her first match had been to someone befitting the station of the oldest child of a king and duke. Her second would have felt like a letdown. Not only was Geoffrey more than 10 years younger than Matilda, making him all of 12, he wasn't even a count. He was the son of a count who couldn't be rightly expected to inherit his father's lands for a long time. Falk was only between 35 and 38 years old. Henry was also showing his hypocrisy. Geoffrey was the older brother of both Matilda, William Adeline's wife, and Sibylla, William Cleto's wife, making him as related to Empress Matilda as William Cleto was to Sibylla. Henry decided this was okay. Henry also knew this marriage would not be popular with his nobles. Anjou was on the border of Normandy, and there had been long-running antipathy between the two. Border skirmishes with the local Norman leaders were not uncommon. This marriage was made to please Henry, though, and no one else's wishes mattered. Theoretically, this marriage should have put an end to the border disputes. But by not speaking to his council first, Henry did not give them a chance to address their grievances or have any other input. Anjou's history is filled with some fascinating characters, some of whom I plan on making special episodes about. Sadly, Geoffrey of Anjou is not one of them. At this moment in our story, he is a 12-year-old boy. 
two years too young to even officially marry Matilda. He would grow to be a more than acceptable military leader, but in the name of his wife and son. I will go so far as to say his attitude did not help his wife right before the death of her father, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Henry kept much of the marriage negotiations secret from his council and did not make things public until Matilda's official betrothal. Her brother Robert and Brian Fitzcount would accompany her to Rouen for the event. A plan had been set in motion to remove Falk from his role and to allow Geoffrey to become count before his father's death. Falk was sent to Jerusalem to marry Melisende, the oldest daughter of the current king, Baldwin II. Falk and Melisende would succeed Baldwin as king and queen in 1131. The marriage between Falk and Melisende was the usual way these things were done. An eligible man with the right breeding and military exploits would be found to marry an heiress without brothers. This way, her father would know that his duchy, county, or kingdom was going to go to someone who could defend it and his daughter and future grandchildren. Henry did not indicate in any way that this was his plan. As I will show, he would do little to give Geoffrey any role in his kingdom. In the end, as most of us know, this does not turn out well for Henry's big plans. Matilda and Geoffrey were married in 1128. He was 15, she was 26. The marriage started off poorly, so poorly that Matilda left Geoffrey not long after. She returned to her father in Normandy. While he was supportive at first, and could have easily had the marriage annulled as we know, he eventually brokered a reconciliation between the couple, and Matilda returned to Geoffrey in 1131. One of the reasons for the couple's estrangement was Henry's unwillingness to hand over Matilda's dowry, mainly her castles in Normandy. This disagreement will have a huge impact in just a few years' time. That same year, Henry had his barons and churchmen swear a second oath to support Matilda as his heir. This oath did not include supporting Geoffrey. In 1133, Matilda put pay to any suggestions of her baroness when her son, Henry Fitzempress, the future Henry II, was born. He was, of course, named after his grandfather. Their second son, Geoffrey, was born in 1134. The second childbirth almost killed Matilda. She wrote a will and prepared for her death. Obviously, she pulled through in the end. This was a very dangerous time to have a child, as most of human history has been. Henry was thrilled with his grandsons and his daughter's recovery, but he still would not give the support that would be greatly needed to his daughter or son-in-law. The arguments between Henry and Matilda, and I'm sure Geoffrey, I'm sure he was involved, grew worse until Geoffrey and Matilda left Henry's court for Anjou in 1135. It was the place they were in control, and a place where their opinions mattered. Sadly, their timing could not have been worse. Henry's Iron Will has been mentioned multiple times in just the first few episodes of this podcast. It's because it was truly something to be reckoned with. He had inherited it from his father. To call either of them a strong, commanding man would have been an understatement. He had kept his oldest brother in prison from 1106 to 1134, when Curthose finally died at the age of 83. He had controlled his barons in both England and Normandy with his strength. He had reformed the English system of taxation and made the country safer. Sadly, there are some drawbacks to ruling through personal strength alone. By denying Matilda and Geoffrey her dowry castles, he was indicating that he either did not want to give up any control to his heir or that he did not trust his son-in-law. While the barons had recently sworn an oath, he had given neither Matilda or Geoffrey any official offices in either Normandy or England. I will return to my thoughts on Henry's iron will and his lack of actual planning for his daughter to rule in my analysis section. But for now, I will just say, 
Having an iron wheel is only useful while you're alive to wield it. Once you're dead, your will is gone, and you have only that which you've prepared for those that come after you to rely on. Henry had not prepared well, and now he was dead. On the 1st of December, 1135, in Rouen, less than two years after the first subject of this miniseries. As many have heard, he died after eating a surfeit of lampreys. It's interesting that excess killed him because he wasn't often an excessive man, except in his enjoyment of the opposite sex. He was only 67 and could have expected a few more years. Remember, his oldest brother had lived to 83. But Henry hadn't had the time, and things would get much worse for Matilda and Geoffrey. The history of Norman succession in England is a series of stories that sound like races. Whichever brother gets there first, there being Winchester and then London, wins the kingdom. And this time was no exception. This is a family that did not have a single chosen successor succeed to the throne. Sorry for the spoilers. A member of Henry's inner circle raced across the channel, convinced the leading churchmen and barons that Henry had changed his mind on his deathbed, not unlike William Rufus in September of 1087. This person was able to inspire the support of Bishop Henry of Winchester and Robert of Gloucester and get themselves crowned on the 22nd of December, 1135. This person wasn't Matilda, or even her son Henry. It was Stephen, Matilda's cousin, the third son of the late Count of Blois. Stephen had been born in 1092 or 1096. Record keeping wasn't what it is today. He was the Count of Boulogne, Jury Ux Oris, through his wife, Matilde of Boulogne. His mother was Adela of Normandy, the sister of Henry I. Stephen's wife had just as impressive of lineage. Her mother was Mary of Scotland, the sister of Empress Matilda's mother. This meant, of course, that Matilda was the first cousin to both Stephen, through her father and his mother, and Matilde, through their mothers. This also meant that the children of Stephen and Matilde were the same grafted branch that Empress Matilda was. Really quick side note, I am pronouncing Matilde of Boulogne as Matilde, and the Empress Matilda as Matilda. Hopefully this isn't too confusing. Despite this impressive pedigree, what matters was that Stephen had managed to get himself crowned and anointed with holy oil before Matilda could even make a move to leave Anjou. Yes, he was helped greatly by his younger brother being the Bishop of Winchester. Needless to say, he did not even wait for the Norman barons to give their support. He was very blessed that the church supported him and the few barons in England supported him. The oath sworn to Matilda seemed to count for nothing in this moment. Matilda could have stayed in Anjou, living with her husband, whom she only sometimes got along with, raising her sons and not worrying about England or Normandy. But that was not her way. She was the daughter of iron-willed Henry I. Her mother was one of the last legitimate descendants of Alfred the Great. Her grandmothers, St. Margaret and Matilda of Flanders, were formidable women in their own right. She had inherited her father's strength, and she was not going to sit back and let Stephen rule in her place. Why was Matilda still in Anjou while her crown and kingdom were being usurped? She hadn't even started making a move for Normandy. There were a few factors against her. First, she didn't have easy access to the sea to get to England. Anjou was landlocked, whereas Stephen had easy access to the sea via Boulogne. 
Second, she had been cut off from the court, and no one was rushing to bring her news. Most of the nobles in Normandy were in the middle of burying her father and making their estate secure. Stephen did act very quickly, much like William Rufus and Henry I. Finally, she was approximately two months pregnant. After her last delivery almost killing her, rushing off while pregnant, especially in one of the most difficult periods of pregnancy, was not advisable. The nausea and vomiting at this stage can be debilitating. Stephen had made it from Rouen to London with a channel crossing and a stop in Winchester in less than five days, in the middle of winter. It would take him a few more weeks to get himself cramped. It had taken William Rufus 15, but he was doing it in autumn when travel was much safer. This podcast isn't about Stephen, so I won't be telling much of his story. There are plenty of books and other podcasts about him. The Rex Factor episode on him is enjoyable. Give it a listen if you want to know more about him. At first, Stephen ruled well, or better than adequately. He was supported by those who had seen to him being crowned. It's safer for the barons who own estates in England and Normandy if there is just one ruler for both, and if things are stable. But the cracks showed quickly. David of Scotland was not going to let this stand. Stephen may be married to one of his nieces, but Matilda was the one he had grown up around. He had sworn to uphold her rights, and he was going to start doing that. While his invasion of the North would not do much, it showed Matilda that she was supported. The Welsh also took advantage of the new king and launched attacks. With each passing day, there were more hints of rebellions, none save King David's trying to enthrone Matilda, but all showing Stephen to be weaker than he had first appeared. To try to shore up support, Stephen gave away lands and titles, a bit willy-nilly, just to try to protect himself. He also showed weakness even when he had won a battle. He would allow provisions into castles he was sieging and not take hostages and just generally make decisions that were not politique because at the time, a king must show strength. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Most importantly, though, Jeffrey of Anjou decided it was his time to use his military knowledge and strength. He began to attack Normandy. These attacks prevented Stephen from visiting Normandy, weakening his hold on the duchy. Religiously, at least where religion intersects politics, Stephen made a huge blunder. His first supporter and strongest supporter had been his younger brother, Henry, Bishop of Winchester. In 1136, the bishopric of Canterbury was opened due to the death of William de Corbel. Henry wanted the job and did not hide this fact. Stephen, however, allowed the monks to vote, as was tradition at the time. While it sounds very democratic, these elections could be easily swayed, and did not try to suggest his brother as archbishop. Theobald of Beck was elected, and Stephen appointed him in January of 1139. As Stephen should have predicted, his brother did not take this news well. More on the impacts of this soon. Now, my dear listener, I'm going to pause my narrative for just a moment to remind you I don't do battles. Um, Yeah, I really always just want to know why a battle mattered. Did anyone important die or get captured? And who won? That is it. So while there are a lot of battles in this period of history, the anarchy, I'm about to dive into, you won't hear details other than those I mention. If you really want to hear about battles, I recommend any World War II podcaster or Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, or ask my husband to start a podcast. (laughs) While Geoffrey was fighting in Normandy, Matilda was doing a woman's battle. She gave birth to her third son, William, in July of 1136. Take that, accusations of barrenness. It looked like even with her husband helping in Normandy and her uncle making trouble in the north of England— that there was no real chance for Matilda to do anything, but her luck was about to change. In 1138, Robert of Gloucester made his stand known, and it was for his sister. Robert of Gloucester had originally supported Stephen, though most historians thought this was out of expediency instead of true support. His sister had been an Anjou, the kingdom needed a leader, Stephen was there, and he had promised to listen to his court and his clergy. Robert saw that Stephen would not uphold these promises. He returned to his sister, and the two of them began planning. Matilda's first step will seem almost boring compared to everything that is coming, but it was an important one. The Pope and his bishops held a great deal of power, and Matilda needed them on her side. She sent Olger, Bishop of Angers. Stephen sent a delegation as well, with Arnulf, Archdeacon of Sees, acting as lead counsel. Olgar was prepared for the arguments that he expected Anuf to make, that the oaths were somehow not binding or arguments regarding hereditary rights. Instead, Arnuf flipped the proceedings on their head by claiming that Empress Matilda was illegitimate, and therefore ineligible to be queen. 
This argument is an interesting, if highly sexist, diversion, and worthy of a quick look. Arnold's argument was that Edith Matilda had been a confessed nun, making her unable to legally marry. It would mean her marriage to Henry I was invalid. Now, the response to this suggestion is incredibly easy to dispute. Like many young women of the time, Edith Matilda had been educated and protected in Romsey Abbey by her aunt Christina, her mother's sister. This was a normal and accepted practice at the time. This issue had already been raised prior to her marriage to King Henry and the Archbishop of Canterbury at the time, Anselm, found in Edith Matilda's favor. She had never been a nun, only a laywoman being educated at the Abbey. Had Oler not been so surprised by this argument, he probably could have argued a sound case for Matilda, but he stumbled here. There were other arguments made, of course, but in the end, the Pope decided to leave things as they were, at least currently. Stephen would remain King of England and Duke of Normandy. While these arguments within the church were occurring, Matilda and Robert had other things to work out. They had no easy way to land in England. Stephen controlled most of the ports or landing sites, and risking a battle upon landing was not worth it. Matilda and Robert got lucky, though. Their stepmother, Queen Adeliza, invited Matilda to visit her at Arundel Castle in 1139. Matilda and Robert landed in September of that year. Matilda had left her sons and husband behind in Normandy, trusting that Geoffrey would continue to fight for control of the duchy. It would take until 1144, after which he would rule in Matilda's name and on behalf of her until he and Matilda relinquished her claim to Henry Fitzsimpris in 1149. Upon arriving in England, Robert left Arundel to ride to his stronghold and gather Matilda's supporters. From here on in, everything he does will be in support of his sister. He may have supported Stephen for a short while, but he was firmly in Matilda's corner. Matilda spent this time getting to know her stepmother's new family. Adeliza's second marriage had, like Matilda's, been much more productive than her first. She and her husband, William de Aubigny, Earl of Arundel, would eventually have seven children together. So totally not barren. There are no recorded dates for the birth of these children. But I would like to help that Adeliza had at least one child at this time, or was pregnant. It would have been lovely for both women to get to share their joy in motherhood after having been so looked down on for so long. It did not take Stephen long to find out Matilda was in England. Within the week, he had forces at Arundel Castle. Matilda was a guest, but it wasn't her hostess's castle. It was her husband's, and he was, at least nominally, a supporter of Stephen. Arundel Castle is difficult to siege. It had access to water on one side, which both protected it and gave a great escape route. Stephen could have chosen to attempt a siege, but it was likely that Robert of Gloucester would have arrived and attacked his rear. To avoid this, Stephen agreed to allow Matilda and her men to leave with a letter of safe conduct. They were permitted to ride to her brother's stronghold. Perhaps this had been her plan all along. While Robert had been able to ride quickly to his lands, they may have been worried that Matilda would be targeted if she went with him. It's even possible that she truly wanted to see her stepmother, regardless of their original plan. Matilda was now safely in the country, safely in her brother's castle, and ready to start taking back what was hers. Over the next few years, there were battles. Boring battles, and really just a lot of back and forth. No one important, at least not to this narrative, died. But a change was coming. 
Matilda's first big win was one of the biggest wins one can achieve in war or chess. She took the king. In 1141, at the Battle of Lincoln, Stephen was captured by the forces led by Robert of Gloucester. He fought nobly until the end, when someone had to knock him unconscious and drag him off the field. His father, he was not. Stephen was presented to Matilda and then secured at Bristol Castle. To have been a fly on the wall at the first meeting of these two after more than six years. Ah, that would have been amazing. Stephen was allowed some level of freedom at first, but was eventually kept in chains because he kept breaking the rules. Stephen's misstep with his brother Henry now comes into play. Bishop Henry, as papal legate, was able to speak for the Pope, and after his brother was captured, he decided that the Pope may have misspoken in his earlier decision to leave Stephen as king. Towards the end of February 1141, he met with Matilda at Winchester and agreed to hand over the treasury and support her claim to the throne. With his brother locked up, Henry decided backing Matilda was the safe choice. It helps that Matilda promised to consult him and her leading nobles regarding all matters of state, something his brother had reneged on not long after taking power. A meeting of leading churchmen was arranged for April 1141. Theobald of Beck, Archbishop of Canterbury, approached Matilda, stating that he could not abandon the oath he had sworn to his king and needed to be released from it. He asked to see Stephen. Probably to his shock, she agreed. King Stephen, resigned to his life in chains, agreed to release the archbishop from his oath. Matilda was declared Lady of the English, or Domina Anglorum, by Bishop Henry at the council. This title sounds like a step down from Queen, but in many ways, it's actually a loftier title. A queen at this time only meant wife of the king. Even today, most queens are referred to as queen regnant, not just queen. Lady of the insert place name was most often associated with Alfred the Great's daughter, Ethelfled, Lady of the Mercians, one of the greatest leaders, male or female, of any Anglo-Saxon kingdom. On a personal note, I would like to argue that we should call all queen regnant king, and make up a new name that isn't Prince Consort for their husbands, removing the gender from the title. While she had the support of the church, she did not have all the support from the barons that she wanted. Her generals had remained loyal and were constant support, but there were not as many coming over to her side as she had hoped. Her church support started to fade when she rejected Bishop Henry's suggestion that Stephen's other titles, Count of Boulogne and Mortain, be given to Eustace, Stephen's oldest son, who was 11. She may have been trying to avoid making another William Cleto, but her rejection was not taken well by the men who weren't used to women telling them what to do. It also didn't help lead others to her side. No one wanted to join a woman who wouldn't listen to their suggestions. Matilda had Henry's iron will, but she hadn't yet learned how to use her wit to control those around her. Matilda reached London before her planned June coronation. Here, Matilda rejoins our story. Stephen's wife, Matilda, Countess of Boulogne, had not given up on his cause. Not only did she want her husband back, but she wanted her son to be king after him. Matilda was a formidable woman, but she also fit into her role as a woman. She wasn't trying to claim the throne for herself. She was doing it for her wronged husband and her ignored son. Matilda and Stephen's remaining forces stayed near London and harried the surrounding area. Matilda had a loyal friend in London. The Castellan of the Tower of London was a loyal Stephen supporter. She was also able to get Bishop Henry back on side. 
mainly due to Matilda's mistake in not taking his suggestion to return Boulogne to Eustace with more thought and consideration. By harrying the area outside the walls of London, Matilda and her men were able to reduce commerce into and out of the city and make field work near impossible. Stephen had heavily taxed the people of London, and Matilda wanted to tax them further, as was her right. Matilda saw to it that paying this tax would be next to impossible, fomenting discontent among the Londoners. While to outsiders, it would seem that Matilda was the bad guy. The people of London saw her as a woman acting in the proper role. She was not trying to control them and be their king. She was trying to help free her husband and restore him to his rightful place on the throne. A woman can lead on behalf of her husband and sons, but not for herself. This would be Empress Matilda's downfall, believing rightly that she should be leading men, not leading for men. The people of London saw Matilda as acting haughty and out of station. She was a woman acting like a man, and that wasn't okay. In addition, she hadn't even been crowned and was therefore not their king yet. I do prefer to use the word king over queen in the historical context. They saw Matilda as overbearing and arrogant. A man in the same position, acting in the same way, would likely be described as strong and commanding. I'll go into this further in the analysis section. Matilda was also derided for doing something men did all the time, taking land from her opponents and handing it out to her supporters. This is basic war 101. You give land to your supporters, both as a reward and so that they will defend that land, solidifying your territorial gains. No one complained, except maybe the local peasants, when William the Bastard handed out land in England after he had won the Battle of Hastings. Those that had a problem with it did what was expected. They rebelled. They were Anglo-Saxons, after all, and they would rather be ruled by one of their own. William put down these rebellions as expected. If he hadn't, his family would not have continued to rule England. While we look back on this as barbaric, but really, are we much better? It was what was expected. A king was a military leader, and Matilda was acting just as her grandfather had. The people of London, Stephen's chroniclers, and other rulers didn't see it this way. She was a woman acting like a man, and yet again, that wasn't okay. As many of you know, the next part does not go well for Matilda, but that's for our next episode. Next week's episode does include one of my favorite stories from this time. It has almost nothing to do with Matilda, but the individuals involved will have an amazing impact on Matilda's children grandchildren, and even great-grandchildren. I've probably given away the story to those who know history, but hopefully the rest of you will find it interesting. Thank you for listening to Past. I can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at PastPod. That's P-A-S-S-E-D-P-O-D. Please feel free to email me at pastpod at gmail.com. I have a Patreon that can be found at patreon.com forward slash pastpod. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.